Hello, I'm Will. Welcome to Research Pod. Once upon a time, a car was as simple as an engine, wheels, steering, and a seat. That was a long time ago. The latest generations of cars now carry technology borrowed from industries ranging from machine learning to medical imaging. Today, I'm speaking with Florian Friedel, Group Leader Automotive, Optoelectronic Components from Hamamatsu Photonics, about the role their light-sensing technologies play in modern motor vehicles and what the future may hold for the cutting edge of photon detection. And joining me to discuss their work, Florian Friedel from Hamamatsu. Florian, hello. Hi, Will. Nice to see you. Nice to have you to join us. For the folks at home, could you tell us a bit about yourself, some of your work background, all the steps that led you to where you are now? Yes, sure. So my name is Florian Friedel. I work for Hamamatsu for the automotive sales team in Germany and Europe. I'm responsible for our tactical working group, Automotive, that's the strategic planning for us in Europe. I've been working with Hamamatsu for the past 10 years now, and I'm in the leader position since the last three years. And could you tell us a bit maybe about Hamamatsu as the whole company overall and where your photonics works fits in? Mm -hmm. Happily, yeah. So Hamamatsu is a big optoelectronic company. We basically do everything that has to do with light. Our main roles are for medical and industrial markets. For the medical, that's a lot of dental application, like X-ray scanners and something like this. For industry, you can find us everywhere. You can find light sensing, basically. That starts with your mobile phones to detect the ambient light and adjust the display, brightness and color. The same goes for TVs. We are involved in drone business for LiDAR scanning or some camera applications, stuff like that but also very simple photo diets or avalanche photo diets that are used in small devices or so. Now that's some very modern examples, mobile phones and drone technology. It's maybe a little bit of a surprise to some listeners, as it was to me when I started reading about your work, that cars and automotive engineering has a place in the field of light research. So how do those two relate? What exactly does your work, the niche it fills? We are already in the cars since 25 years with our optical technologies. The thing with our sensors is that you probably won't see them as powered by Hamamatsu or stuff like that. We are already quite common in the cars and almost all of the LiDAR systems that you have driving around in, in Europe and the US are already using our sensors actually. But you will never know because it's on component side and usually you just know which tier one has their stamp on the box, or sometimes not even that. So it's nothing new, but of course, with the miniaturization and everything that is going on right now in the general market, all these optical technologies also become more and more important for the cars. Past applications are simply like rear view mirrors that automatically dim the brightness when you have someone glaring from behind, but also like optical communication via plastic optical faser in the cars for infotainment, TV displays, um, radio connections, and stuff like that. But I do expect that our sensors will get quite more common, especially with the rise of the LiDAR sensors that we expect in the next couple of years when going to these higher autonomous driving functions or even to full autonomous cars in the future. To kind of connect to your own personal history, quite apart from professional one, were you one of those kids who was into cars and now gets to work on them full time? 
Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a very unpopular opinion, but I'm not so into cars and not so into driving cars. I'm rather already looking forward to the autonomous driving cars. So you can spend the time you have to spend in the car with something else. Doing something that you'd actually like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm a sales guy, so I have to drive around a lot. And the time you spend in the car really gets sometimes a bit boring. Well, I suppose at least you get to spend your days making that autonomous future a little bit closer. Exactly, yeah. The daily operations of Hamamatsu in the current fleet of vehicles, you've mentioned some of the older technologies with the rear view mirrors and the entertainment, but bringing that automotive future you know, closer and closer. Are you in any of the current generation of you know, smart vehicles, electric cars, things that people look at on the road and go, oh, that is very new? We are in some of the very new cars. I'm not allowed to tell any specific models here. <laughs> of course. Usually it's rather these, at the moment at least, it's these very expensive high-end cars that already have implemented these rather expensive ADAS systems, including a LiDAR maybe, something like this. And when we say ADAS systems, what does that mean? ADAS means Advanced Driver Assistant Systems. And these are the systems that will enable the autonomous driving car or right now they enable the assistance functions like highway pilots or traffic jam assist, something like this. Now, it is, I think, one of the core truths of the world that engineering is filled with many acronyms and abbreviations. We're going to deal with some of those talking about your research. And it's going to spend a lot of our time talking about MPPCs and SIPMs and SPADs. So if we could maybe summarize what some of those parts are and then how your work puts them all together with all of the research and the work that you do. Mm -hmm. So we are mainly talking about, as you just said, MPPCs and SPPCs. That's the Hamamatsu brand names for silicon PMs and SPAD arrays. So MPPC stands for multi-pixel photon counter, and that is the same as a silicon photomultiplier tube. So that's a sensor that is amplifying the light by roughly a million. SPPCs are single-pixel avalanche diodes. These are sensors that can detect even single photons of light, so, so very, very low amounts of light. From technology point of view, they are very similar, so we talk about both of them in parallel, basically. Okay, to compare them to, say, a digital camera, which has a sensor at the back which takes in light and transforms it into electrical information for digital storage, what kind of scale are the multi-pixel photon counters and the single-pixel photon counters working at compared to the camera in my phone or the sensor in a DSLR or something? So compared to a regular camera chip, let's say, they have a built-in amplification within each pixel. So we are also talking about 2D arrays, very similar to a camera sensor, but the resolution is, of course, much, much lower. So you cannot compare it to like 4K resolution or HD resolution or something like this. It's much lower, but the sensitivity of each of these sensor pixels is much higher, up to an extent that you, with SPADs, can even detect only one, one photon coming in. And why would anyone want to be detecting just a single photon? What are the applications for that? So for these kind of sensors, we are talking mainly about LiDAR applications in the car. And for LiDAR, it's very important to have a certain visible range, let's say. 
So a LiDAR system in general works in the way that you send out laser light, a pulsed laser light usually, that is reflected from your obstacle, a car or pedestrian or something like this. And then you detect the signal that is coming back as a reflection with your sensor. As you can imagine, if there is a pedestrian wearing a black hoodie, for example, not much light is coming back. So you really need to be able to see these very, very small signals even. To see them and then to detect and also see the object that is there. Okay, and to get in the kind of the micro scale, the engineering of how those chips work, and I imagine the speed of processing means a lot there. So could we walk through the steps of how a LiDAR scanner works? What is you know, step one, send signal, step two, reflection off signal, step three, processing, and then... So yeah, step one is sending the signal, so by pulsing your laser light. Step two is the reflection of the signal, basically the signal coming back from the object you want to see, you want to detect. Step three is seeing the signal that is coming back. And step four is then calculating the distance and interpreting the signal that is coming back. So from Hamamatsu's side, we usually focus on the first three steps. We don't deal with the signal processing afterwards, only to a, a certain extent, but we are the experts for the photosensors. So we deal with everything that you can do with the light and with a little bit of readout signal processing. That means very simply, with the information we get from the laser and from the sensor, we can, for example, directly calculate the distance to the object. But we don't do any interpretation of the object. What kind of object is it? How does it look like? What is the geometry and stuff like that? Well, to come back to those acronyms of SPAD and MPPC, that's single photon and multi-photon pixel counters. How do those compare? What is the difference for their application? Why you'd use one compared to the other? And what kind of information do you get back from them? That's a very good question. That is a bit complicated because both technologies are actually very similar from technology point of view. But in the end, and how you use them, they are still quite different. So when we talk about MPPCs or silicon PMs, multi-pixel photon counters or silicon PMs, it's basically SPAD array, but you have multiple single SPADs that are combined to one sensor cell. So when I rephrase that, it's basically you have multiple pixels for each output channel. In the SPAD, each output channel is also one pixel in the sensor array. Okay, so it can collate all of that information into one point into one point exactly but that also means that the readout and the interpretation of the pixels of the signal is quite different because for spats you always only get information of light or no light zero or one so you have to look at the histogram of your readout to find your real object between all the noise and ambient light and so on for mppcs you get a certain signal height depending on the amount of light that comes back so in this case, it's much closer from the readout to regular sensors like photodiodes or avalanche photodiodes, because in this case, you can really look at the signal height and the higher the signal, the more light you get back, basically. You mentioned the noise as something to filter out there. And reading through some of the material available from Hamamatsu, there's also discussion of ghost objects and crosstalk, the idea that looking at that histogram, the bar chart that will tell you if, you know, yes or no 
if you reach that threshold for light detection or rejecting as noise. How complicated is it to get an accurate answer and what can be done to ensure that you are getting the right information at the right time? It's not that easy. That is true, unfortunately. <laughs> Because we have such a high amplification built in these kind of sensors and you cannot avoid the ambient light. You will always have some background light either coming from the sun or coming from city lights or different cars or so. You really have to focus on the light that you are sending out, on the wavelength of the light that you're sending out and to try to just collect this signal, this light from this signal. And by using a bandpass filter, for example, you can remove a lot of the different wavelengths that are not used by your laser. In addition to the ambient light, you always have, of course, some thermal noise in the signal that cannot be avoided. And you will always see this in the sensor. So you always have to find the right threshold to distinguish this noise combined with the last remaining ambient light from your real signal. That is actually one of the most complicated topics here. Yeah. The crosstalk is basically the effect that a signal on one pixel has on the pixel next to it. Between each pixel and each readout line, you have certain inductances. So that means you have a magnetic field that is introduced when you have a large signal on one pixel. And this magnetic field might influence the pixel or the signal output of the pixel next to it. So it might be that you see signals on both of these pixels, even though you only have a real signal on one of these. And from the experience with our APD arrays, we noticed that this is very critical, especially for LiDAR applications, because it might introduce, we call it ghost signals. So you see stuff that is not really there just because of the crosstalk. So it needs to be avoided. A spread of false negatives around where the false positives is. Exactly, exactly. There was one other part that kind of leapt out to me that was the use of micro lenses in filtering the light coming in and the someone going out. How micro a lens are we talking about? So this is actually one of the newer technologies that we just use since last year and that we implement now on all of our MPPC and SPPC arrays. Basically, we use these micro lenses in a way that the size of the lens is the same as the size of one pixel in our 2D sensor array. That means one of the lenses is, depends on the pixel size, but between 10 micrometer and 25 micrometer in this range. With the use of those micro lenses on the MPPCs and SPADs, what kind of advantages does that offer compared to using just as they were? So in the regular sensor array without micro lenses, you will always have basically a small gap in between each of the sensing areas of the active areas of each pixel. And with the micro lens array, you can almost 100% eliminate these blind spots between the pixels, let's say, because all the light that even falls into these in-between areas is focused on the active area by using these micro lenses. It's like a big advantage in terms of the clarity of information that you get coming in. Of the clarity of information and the PDE, the photon detection efficiency, is also increased in the end. Okay, and now to talk about the new series of technology coming out of Hamamatsu in this year, maybe the next couple of years as well. 
you know, to put some numbers to it in terms of percentages and resolution and available light processing, how much quicker, faster, clearer are things getting? That is not easy to answer because we are focusing very much on custom specific sensors, especially for automotive, because from our point of view, every tier one, every OEM has slightly different requirements on their um, perfect system, so to say. And that is true for the sensor side, but also on the readout on the ASIC side behind. So we are really focusing on building custom specific sensors for each individual requirements here. So it's tough to say details, but when speaking very general, we are working on improving the photon detection efficiency even further, because one of the problems is that we are using near-infrared light, usually for most of these LiDAR sensors, that is just beyond the human eye visibility. So we are a little bit higher from wavelengths perspective compared to that what the human eye can see. Unfortunately, the silicon material that is used for almost all of these sensors is getting transparent at this infrared light already. So it's really tough to catch enough light to see the signal. And that is what we are working on improving. Right now we have photon detection efficiency of 20% roughly in our sensors. And within the next year, we are targeting to 25, maybe even 30%, combining a couple of different technologies. That would be a 25 to 50% increase. Very roughly, yes, exactly. And in terms of putting all of that into application, there was another acronym that we've encountered now of ASICs. Are those part of that percentage boost that you've mentioned? So the ASICs are basically the readout circuit that is right behind the sensor. So just to manage all the readout from the optical sensor and also very rough signal processing, like action counting or some thresholding to see if the signal is above a threshold. If it's below, then we don't even take it into account. Maybe a small buffer to record a couple of milliseconds or so from your signal. Very simple stuff. But it's important to combine it as close as possible to the sensor to not get any parasitic effects, like, for example, crosstalk. That's why we combine it with our sensor directly. Yeah, and all of this is being done, as you say, in custom scenarios for custom applications. Exactly. So we have basically a couple of different options here and like a library of different ASIC functions that can be implemented for each individual customer design. Yeah. And then one of the new generation features will be multi-echo detection, which is a very fun phrase to say, but what does that actually entail in terms of managing all of that signal? Yeah, it's a bit clunky, multi-echo detection. Basically, it means that when I send out one laser pulse, it might be that the laser pulse is not only reflected on one surface, but on several surfaces, and that I get back not one signal, but multiple signals. For example, when we have bad weather, we have snow or rain, then it might be that a part of this signal is already reflected on some of the raindrops, and then I might get a small signal back from the weather effects and another from my car. And when talking about a car that I want to detect, it doesn't have one flat surface, but it's also like stepped, for example. So it might be that a couple of different signals with different ranges comes back from one object. And with this multi-echo detection, I can detect a couple of these echoes that come back from only one laser signal. And I know that they belong to this one laser signal. That helps to manage all of that scattered information. That scatter, exactly. And also if I have multiple objects that I want to see, like a pedestrian and a car, 
in one laser shot, I can also distinguish between multiple objects in my way. Sounds like something that would be very important because any misinformation could have critical consequences. Exactly, exactly, yes. Well, looking to the future then, what would you say the near future holds for Hamamatsu Technologies looking over maybe the next five years? You know, where do you see all of this going that you know is coming up and then beyond the kind of future that we may not even be prepared for? We are right now working or in the final steps of the back-illuminated MPPCs. The samples are in production right now. The back illumination of the MPPCs is basically there to further increase the photon detection efficiency again. We did one step this year with the microlens arrays on top of the sensor. The next step for the next improvement will be the structure chains from front illuminated MPPCs to back illuminated MPPCs. And with a step to the back illuminated MPPCs, we are also providing a couple of standard arrays with a certain resolution, pixel resolution that will also be available from the beginning of next year. The resolution in this case is still not too high, but as I mentioned, these are standard products and we are rather focusing on custom arrays. So we are already talking with several customers here in Europe and China and in the US. And with these kind of customers, we are also talking about larger resolution arrays. And is there anything that you see that would be maybe a limit to the growth or the development that could go into the arrays? You know, do you see if there's a threshold that is going to stop the development of new products, either in terms of you know, signal processing speed or photosensitivity or you know, material availability? Is there anything that would stop you from getting to that future? With the technology that we have right now, it seems like the photon detection efficiency will be at a limit at around 30 to 35%, something like this. If we want to go beyond this, we either need to use different materials or maybe even different technologies as of today. The second limit is with the resolution of these sensor arrays. And the limit is not per se the resolution of the sensor array, but the readout signal that you need for this array. If it gets larger, you can imagine that the readout circuit will also get more complicated and also larger. And actually, in this case, it might get a bit difficult with the thermal management because all this ASIC heats up quite significantly. And optical sensors in general do not like to be heated up. So we need to see or find a way to keep the thermal heat yeah, as low as possible without affecting the sensor array. And lastly, who between the Hamamatsu labs where you are working and the end users, the people sat in cars, should have learned something new from this interview and all the stuff that we've talked about? What kind of summary would you want to give to them? So I think it's interesting for everybody who is interested in LiDAR technology and in new optical technologies that are coming to the market right now. And also maybe car enthusiasts that want to understand how these new functions that are pushing to the car are working. What is the background for this? I think the easiest summary to give is basically there are many different LiDAR technologies on the market and also different sensor technologies that are used. 
So it is very important to know and understand your exact use case. And with that, I mean the scope of your LiDAR system that you're using. Are you having a long range LiDAR, a short range LiDAR, like a LiDAR cocoon for a very short range, something like this. And then you need to know which kind of technology and what ASIC functions are important for your use case. Because every LiDAR is different. Every LiDAR has different advantages, disadvantages, and also requirements on the sensor. So yeah, you need to understand what is important for you and what are the functions that are best suited for you. And we from Hamamatsu, we are focusing on helping you with these choices, basically, and also with combining the sensor array with the necessary ASIC functions. And if people want to know more about Hamamatsu and all of the work that is coming from your labs, anything that you guys are up to at all, where can they find that information? They can find it on our webpage, hamamatsu.com or DE. Florian, thank you so much for your time and talking with us today. It was a pleasure, Will. Thank you very much.